And our passage comes to us in Mark chapter 14, verses three through nine. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The word of God. Please be seated. Welcome, friends. Welcome, all. La Sierra Academy, welcome. So good to see you. Have you here? Uh, and family, so glad that you're here. And today, we're wrapping up a series. It's been 13 sermons long ever since January called Question Mark. Now, by some counts, Jesus asked 339 questions in the Gospels. He asked questions to inspire his hearers to think about their priorities, their values, hopes, fears, and the focus of their lives. Jesus' questions helped listeners wrestle with big ideas and think critically about what they were thinking, doing, and saying. Today we finish this series with one more question that sets up what we will experience together uh, this week, later on this week, at Four Days with Jesus. So the question is, we'll go to the next slide. Why are you bothering her? 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 And when do you hear that question, right? Or a question like it. I grew up with siblings and, um, and I, I heard a question like, I grew up with brothers, so it wasn't, why are you bothering her? It was, why are you bothering, why are you bothering him, yeah? But I grew up not too far from here. I grew up with two brothers uh, in Orange County. And uh, we'll go to the next slide. Uh, so we lived in Fountain Valley. Some of you know where that is, not too far away. Um, and so we spent many uh, a summer at the beach. I remember there were a couple summers, it was junior high for me, seventh and eighth grade. We spent every single day, every single weekday at Huntington Beach. It was so close, right? Um, and that was the life. It was incredible. And this picture here is of the Adventist beach, Corona Del Mar. <laughs> you know this beach. I know this beach so well. You know the cove. I was baptized in the cove. Uh, on June 15, 1991. I was 12 years old, right? <laughs> Sixth grade. And I remember the day because that actually happens to be my wife's birthday. So I will never forget that, right? June 15, 1991. 
oh yeah, you know this, right? And right when you start thinking about it, you know what it is, right? The big franks, the corn, right? The experience. Well, as you do on the beach, we play games. I play games with my friends and uh, you know, tackle football is not really allowed at Adventist school, you know that. But at the beach, at the beach, it might be a little bit different because the sand is softer. So we played football and it was fun. And I always hung out with my brother's friends. I looked up to my brother, hung out, and so I would play with them. Now, I'm not a big guy to begin with, and I was playing with kids who were already two years older than I. And we were having fun, right? And obviously I'm undersized, struggling, whatever, running in the sand is difficult, right? And I don't advise this to anyone, but because I'm undersized, right, wasn't always the cleanest football player, right? I could kinda get away with more because I was undersized, but you know, things started getting chippy as they do when you're playing games. Right? Especially a game like, like football, right? And so there's this one friend of my brother's, I'm gonna call him Larry to protect his identity. Larry, Lawrence, right? And, uh, and so we were going at it, right? He was, he was matched up with me and we were just kinda going for it. And, um, and I, again, I don't advise doing this, I have Terry a little cheap shot, right? Right here, right in the uh, solar plexus, right? Little elbow, you know, never hurt anyone much. <laughs> Actually it does, it hurts a lot, knocks the wind out of you kind of situation. And so, Larry was not very pleased with me. And you know that moment when they see something different? Right? Like they see red. Have you ever been in a situation where you're up facing someone and all of a sudden you can tell what they see? Like the color has changed, right? They see red. They don't see me anymore. And I thought, okay, this guy has like 30 pounds on me. And again, I weigh more than I did then. So 30 pounds, I mean, right? Proportionally, that's significant. So I started freaking out. I was like, this guy is going to kill me. This is gonna happen. I mean, we were already kind of going at it and right now, like I'm going to die. It's just at Larry's hands. It, it's gonna happen, I see it in his face. So I started running away, right? You're running away. He's chasing me, right? I'm running away. I thought I was fast, but Larry saw red, so it didn't matter, right? He was right behind me. He was going to, Right? A murder was going to occur, and it was gonna be me. And so, so I did something that I shouldn't have done, but I did it. I reached down, I grabbed some sand, and I threw it in Larry's face, right as he was about to grab me. This guy, right, preventing murders. Right, just throw it in his face. And immediately I regretted it. Because 
he doubled over like a baby. And he was crying because he had sand in his eyes, right? Terrible. I felt so bad. And I had to face my dad, right? I went with Larry to the restroom, tried to help him wash his eyes out, apologizing. I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that, but kind of because I was scared for my life. And then my dad asked me, why? Whoa, why? Why, why did I do that? To which I said, oh. I mean, now I can think it through, but back then I, we asked this, why are you bothering her? Is the question that Jesus asks. And I can't help but think it carries this tone. You heard the passage, and that's the question today. When do you expect to hear it? Oh, in this type of situation. And so, why? Now this question explores motive, right? It explores reason, why did this occur? Why are you bothering her? Now recall what's happening in this story. Here's the setting. In verse one, it says that two days before the Passover, in the festival of unleavened bread, they are in Bethany. Bethany is 1.72 miles away from Jerusalem, very close. 2.77 kilometers, all right, for our Canadian friends. Yeah, exactly. Listen, listen, we're inclusive here. And that's where we find them. We catch up with Jesus at a party in verse three. We'll go to the next slide. Here it is. Mark chapter 14, verse three says, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. So they're very close to Jerusalem. You know what's going to happen. We're going into Holy Week, yeah? That's what's happening. Now there's a lot here. Bethany, we, we know is close. He's reclining at the table. Now, uh, in, in the ancient world, if someone's sitting at a table, if it's called sitting, right, this is a normal meal. But we can tell this is a special meal because they are reclining. You recline for feasts and banquets. And that's what they're doing here in this moment. But I wouldn't recommend uh, eating and right, laying down. Just okay, help yourself. And then it says Simon the leper. That's whose house they were at. Now, Simon the leper, we actually don't hear much about Simon the leper outside of this, other than he has a really unfortunate nickname. Why? Why? Simon the leper? How would you like to be known as, right, Jason the leper? Hey, we're going to Jason the leper's house, right? Uh, wait. Well, clearly he's not a leper now, otherwise they wouldn't be at his house. So, there is speculation, I think, it, that Jesus healed Simon previously, and that this party is actually a reunion of people that Jesus had helped. Talk about a party, yeah? Woo, Simon the leper. And how did he, how did he survive that moniker? I would have said immediately, Simon the ex-leper, please, please keep moving along. Um, 
And then we find out more. There was an alabaster jar, right? The woman had an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume. Check out this next slide. Here's a picture of an alabaster jar. It's translucent. It's beautiful. The jar itself is expensive. And we find out, right, that it's filled with spikenard, which is an exotic, extravagant, expensive perfume from India, the Himalayas. Incredible, it's the root, and it is lovely. Now, the jar we're talking about probably looks a little more like this. Let's go to the next one. Take a picture. So, probably a little thinner, and this is the kind of jar that you couldn't seal again once you've opened it, right? A lot of them, some of them had uh, long necks, and once you opened it, it was open. You had to use it. Now, Things get interesting because she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head, yeah? Anointing at feast was common. That would happen, right? How would you like that, right? Hey, come to my party. I'll pour, pour some perfume on your head. Right, I know. No, no, no. Maybe. I don't know. It depends. Um, but it was common practice, especially for guests of honor. And in Luke 7, when Jesus' feet are anointed by who's described as a sinful woman, Jesus asks another question. Jesus asks to the host, the Pharisee whose house it is, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time that I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins are forgiven. It's her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Yeah? So Jesus is anointed here, right, in Luke 7, another, uh, another instance. And this would happen, right, at parties. Now, there's a question that the crowd asks in this uh, passage in Luke that I think can, can inform our passage in Mark. They ask a question, they ask about Jesus, right? He forgives her sins, he turns to her and says, your sins are forgiven. And then the crowd asks, who is this? Who even forgives sins? Who is this man? Now, there's a question implied with that. Who is this? Is he worthy? Is he worth it? Is this man worth it? And I'm asking that actually in a very literal sense. It's a very expensive jar. This is a very expensive perfume. Is he worth it? This, this is so good. She broke the jar and she pours the jar on his head, right? The whole jar, like extra, just on his head. Instead of like one or two drops, the whole thing. Now, this, you'll find, we'll get to it. This is a moment right here, but let's go to the next verse. Mark chapter 14 and verses four and five says, some of those, were, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and money given to the poor. They rebuked her harshly. Why? Why'd you do this? We will rebuke you. Rebuke. 
Why'd you do this? What a waste. You are wasting this. They rebuke, they criticize. And the word here in Greek for rebuke, it's like the snorting of horses. Have you made that noise before? Like, <sighs> right? Just, what is that? It's disgust. It's like, are you, are you kidding me right now? Oh, terrible. This is serious here. Now, I've done that noise before. I've made that noise before. Now, here's what's interesting. In Mark, it says some of those who are present. But in Matthew and in John, right, this story is recounted, two other spots. And it describes it slightly differently. I just wanna take a look at it really quick. So if we go to the next slide, it's Matthew 26, eight. This is what Matthew says. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. So the disciples are described, right? In Mark, it said some of those present, yeah? Matthew's like, the disciples did this. And look at John. John actually takes it a step further. Go to the next one. John says, right, in John 12, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. So it calls out Judas, like directly. And why does this happen sometimes in the Bible? Sometimes the story doesn't line up quite right, right? You're like, wait, 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 some of those present? Or was it the disciples? Or, or actually, was it Judas? What, which actually was it? Now, are we okay with that? Sometimes when it doesn't line up? We should be. This is not the point, but I'm gonna make a point. So the way that I presented it to you is actually the chronological, chronological order with which these stories were written. Mark showed up first, and then Matthew was written, and then John was written. It's really interesting. Also, John actually lists the woman in the story described as, right, Mary, sister of Martha and Lazarus. But in Mark, she's not described. In Matthew, she's not described. She's anonymous as an unnamed woman. Now, why does that happen? Hmm. Now, John also says something interesting. John says that this happened, this story, happened six days before Passover. Do you remember what Mark said? How many days it was before? Mark said two. John chapter 12. John said six days before, and Mark says two. Which was it? This isn't the point, but I'm making a point. Something we should consider when we read the Bible is what is the point? Why are we reading this? And what is the purpose of this book? If I read an inconsistency, what does it do to my faith? How should I read this book when these moments occur? Now, I believe, right, that this book, and again, not the point, but I believe that this book is worth reading and that it has divine guidance within it. And what happens is sometimes the story, now consider Mark wasn't present. 
Mark was not present. Mark is generally regarded as Peter's gospel. He was homies with Peter, right? They hung out. And that's how Mark got the accounting, right? Matthew was there. John was there too. And John wrote after. So you can imagine, I can imagine. Now we can have conversation around this, right? You might be like, Pastor Jason, I disagree. That's great. Let's have that conversation. That's the purpose of reading this book in community, yeah? Yeah, we step into it together. We wrestle with this book together. I can imagine John saying, look, we're all taking a beating here. Matthew, you wrote, you wrote the disciples, let's just, it was Judas, just, just put it down. It was Judas. And Judas, the disciple, some who were present, they had a strong reaction to what had just happened, what the, what the woman did, right? They, they reacted, they were like, wait, disgust, rebuke, yeah? This is terrible, strong reaction, why? Why did they have a strong reaction? Now maybe it was the sentiment that was expressed. Maybe they did have actual genuine concern for the poor. Maybe they were so ideologically pure that they just believed, right? Maybe Judas just believed absolutely everything should go to the poor and I am indignant that it did not do that. Is that what it was? Probably not, I'm guessing not, why? Well, as the story goes, Judas betrayed Jesus for money. Did he give that money to the poor? No. I feel like something else is going on here. Sometimes you say a thing because you wanna be perceived a certain way, but then you don't really live it out. Talking to myself. Why else would they have that reaction? Jealousy. Maybe they were jealous of Jesus, why? If you break open something expensive, right? And typically what would happen is that everyone would get anointed with one or two drops, right? One or two, thank you for coming, one or two, right? Enough for everyone. This woman is like, bam, okay, all for Jesus. Like 100%, no one else gets this. Actually, just you, Jesus. Wait, wait, what about me? Wait, you're just giving this to Jesus? What? Listen, like, do you know who we are? We hang out with Jesus. We're kind of friends. We, we're part of this. We should have something too. Hmm. Why does Jesus get all of it right now? And this leads us this leads us to this idea of what a waste, right? That was their reaction. What a waste, you are wasting this. And we go, the next two words, let's go to the next one. Waste versus what Jesus describes. Wasteful versus beautiful. So which is it? We see this act that this woman does and it's one of these two things. It's either wasteful or it's beautiful, but it's not both. Which is it? I mean, honestly, this sounds kinda like life now, right? Sometimes we'll talk about something and then we'll be like, it's this way. And then someone else will be like, it's this way. And you're like, whoa, these two are not the same thing, like at all. Some of you watch news and listen to politics and you're like, whoa, 
They're not the same. What do we do with that? It feels like that kind of moment. It's either wasteful or it's beautiful, but it's not both. So which is it? Let's figure out, we'll figure out as we read through. We'll go to the next one, Mark chapter 14, verse six. Right? And it reads, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So Jesus is actually framing the moment. Do you trust him? You trust Jesus that it's beautiful and not wasteful? He's saying it's beautiful. But they had a reaction, didn't they? Wasteful. Have you ever seen something wasteful? I have these moments sometimes. I'm like, man, what a waste. Terrible, right? Or like sometimes, right, listen, this is my thing. You can ask, you can ask my family, ask my kids, whatever. I've got this whole thing about, right? (laughs) Like (laughs) recycling. I'm like, recycle, recycle, just put it in. Just put it in. (sighs) So I have these moments. I think we all do. Now, this is interesting because that word bothering, this is the the key word. Remember the, the question? Why are you bothering her? Now, it doesn't hit today like it would have back then. The word in Greek, kopos, And what does it mean? It means to strike, to hit. And to hit in such a way as you can't recover. It says, so hard that it seriously weakens or debilitates. Jesus said, stop doing this to her. This is what you're doing right now as you're rebuking her for what she did. You're striking her. Don't do it. Stop. Why are you beating her up? Why are you beating her down? Here's what McKenna, David McKenna says in his commentary. We'll go to the next one. Criticism frequently tells more about the critic than it does about the person who is criticized. In the case of the disciples, and Judas in particular, criticism exposes their motives. Under the pretense of pure love, they lay bare their unadulterated selfishness. Criticism frequently tells more about the critic than it does about the person who is criticized helpless. Listen, I have opinions. I have plenty of criticism within me. But this is quite the moment This is a cautionary tale, friends. Let's go to the next one. They, right, be it Judas, be it disciples, be it some who were present, they didn't truly see Jesus, who he was. Who is this man, right, that he even forgives sins? They didn't see Jesus, she did. She did, and how did she know? Because think about what she did. 
right? Jesus said, she's preparing me for burial. Even at this point, they were still in denial, yeah? They were like, no, like, that's not why we're here. We're here to, right, roll in and establish Jesus as king. That's gonna happen. So I don't know what you're doing, lady. What even, what even is this? But consider what Jesus told them, right? Jesus' own words in Mark chapter eight. So before that, even in the same book, right? And uh, we'll get to it. Sorry, my fingers are uh, not really working, but Mark chapter eight. Let's get there, let's get there. Come on. Come on, friends. Mark chapter eight, absolutely. And verse 31 says, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be what? Killed after three days, and after three days rise again. I mean, kind of on the nose, yeah? Kind of, wait, Jesus, what's gonna happen? Okay, so I'm gonna teach you about this thing that's gonna happen, Mark chapter eight, yeah? So that's, that's gonna happen. And Mark chapter nine. So it's not just one spot. Look at this. Mark chapter nine and verse 30. Yeah? This is what it says. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, what did he say? Words, yeah? Jesus said, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. Again, on the nose. So if Jesus says, I am going to be killed, and then rise in three days, what would you believe? Jesus, we're gonna go in, we're gonna conquer things. No, we won't fall away. Yeah, but did you forget what I said? Yeah. Either that or they weren't listening. Have you ever heard that, right? Or had that conversation with a friend, a loved one? Didn't you hear me when I told you this? Yes. Right, selective hearing. How does that work? This is a case of selective hearing because they had in their mind how Jesus was going to do it. Jesus was gonna establish himself with earthly power, with earthly wealth, right? Political power, human power. This is how it's gonna happen. Now, we don't have any concepts of how it's gonna happen, right? Okay, just checking. Now, this act is a double entendre, right? You know what that is in in literature, right? It's a a phrase that has two meanings. What does she do? Oh, that's serious. What does she do? She anoints him as king, yeah? or anointing him for burial? Yes, and, both and, right? And actually, as an honored guest, a triple entendre, very rare, yeah? There are meanings behind what she is doing because she was paying attention to what Jesus was saying all along, and she took him seriously, and she knew that this was the moment, but they didn't. Now, next, uh, next slide. So, created a little graphic here just to help myself kind of deal with my own issues as I work through this text. Here's what I've come up with. On the left, there's a circle, 
Venn diagram, I love these. What God wants, right? What does God want? Yeah, I think I know some, right? So the red circle on the right is what we think God wants. It's a little smaller because my brain is smaller than God's, so I don't have as many thoughts as God does. So I have my concept of what I think God wants, and then there's another circle of what God wants, and there is an intersection. Maybe it's smaller than I wanted it to be, honestly, but it's there, and in that area is actually, right, what I think God wants and what God wants. But there's like a whole segment where I think God wants something, and it's just not so. What do I think God wants? So as I read this text, I'm thinking, well, what do we think God wants? Well, take this and sell it and give it to the poor. And what does God want? What does Jesus want? No, this is a beautiful thing. You're wrong, actually, about this. Hmm, okay, all right. So I see I'm actually, right, that's fully blue section. That, that's what's happening there. That's not even close to anything that I would think, necessarily. Now, this question that Jesus asked, why are you bothering, why are you beating her up? It's a rebuke. He's rebuking them. Was Judas offended? Probably, because the story says that immediately after this, he goes to the chief priest and cuts the deal. He's offended. But think about this Venn diagram and think about historically what we thought God wanted. What did God want? To conquer. Right? We defended that. We said, yeah, absolutely, God wants to conquer and use violence to do that, right? And it's like, wait, wait, no. Maybe the Crusades are not like it. Maybe genocide. Have we used this to justify genocide? Look, God demands genocide, we should do that. Oh, wait, <laughs> wait, maybe not. Wait, <laughs> how about slavery? Have we used this book to justify slavery in the past? Don't you think God wants that? Oh, wait a second, where are we? Where do we locate that? Maybe that's not it. There are current issues now. How about misogyny? How about inequities? How about hatred? because of race or other issues, sexual orientation. How about oppression toward marginalized people? Where would we locate this? Has this been used to justify that? Can we wrestle with that as a community? Well, time and again, God is faithful and God pulls us forward even in the midst of this, God is patient with us and works with us toward getting that Venn diagram closer. Because I think, right, on, on normal circumstances, I'm thinking that r the red and the blue circle are the same. What do you think God wants? Well, I know what God wants. Ooh. History will show that this was closer to truth. Now, Couple more slides, real quick. How we approach this requires humility. And uh, the next slide, humility is a choice. We choose humility. We choose to submit, we choose 
to defer. Now, it's hard to remain in humble space. Really, really hard. It's hard for me. Why? Because we grow and we learn, right? You all are older than you were. You know more now, right? You do. It's a function of growing. And it's great. And one of the things that I've found, the paradox, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Like the more I learn, the more I realize I just, I, I don't know certain things. There's more ambiguity and life is more complicated than I thought. The psalmist tells us that pride goes before a fall. We'll go to the next slide, right? Pride goes before a fall. So Jason, start on the floor. What does that look like? What does that look like? So I want you to reimagine this scenario, this cautionary tale that we just walked through together. Reimagine it and ponder the question, what if? Someone got it. <laughs> what if, <laughs> instead of the rebuke, right, that the, that the disciples at some present that Judas gave to the woman, what if instead they ask the question, we'll go to the next, Jesus, Jesus, what do you think? Because I'm appalled right now at what's happening, that you would break that and it's so extra and extravagant and wasteful that this just happened. Instead of being unfiltered and just saying what I think and stepping into that space and rebuking people and, and offering my opinion because it matters so much, what if I am shocked for a second and then, oh, how are you doing? Oh, oh, Jesus, oh, oh, you like that, okay. Um, Jesus, I, I don't know, <laughs> this doesn't, what do you think about this? Is this okay? I'm not sure, it doesn't feel okay, but, but I'm gonna ask you, because you're at the center of this right now, so I'm gonna ask you, what do you think? Now friends, um, this, is, uh, this is what it looks like moving forward now for us. We have a lot to navigate. And, and as I read this story, I kept hearing to myself, there's a purpose in this question. And there's a way it can be avoided. I would hate to hear God say to me, why are you beating them up? Stop it. Maybe before that happens, so that it never happens, I can ask the question, Jesus, what do you think? 